Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Um, we have these fine uh, poets here tonight, and I'm going to uh, read a little bit um, about them. I know because they really are worth reading about. Um, uh, I've had the fortune of sharing the stage with Brendan Constantine. You know, he's just, um, he's amazing. Um, this collection is his second collection of poetry, his first book, Letters to Guns. Brendan is standing right there. I don't think he, not, not just one applause, come on. Letters to Guns, there he goes. Was released in 2009 from Red Hand Press. His work has also appeared in Field, Plowshares, Rattle, the Los Angeles Review and Runes, among other journals. Mr. Constantine teaches poetry at Loyola Marymount University Extension and the Winward School in West Los Angeles. In addition to this, he regularly conducts poetry workshops for hospitals, foster care centers, and with the Alzheimer's Poetry Project. And he lives in Hollywood, California. So that's Brendan. And um, Paul Suntup. Paul Suntup. There he goes. Has edited three books of poetry, and his work has appeared in numerous publications, including Rattle, Spillway, Art Life, Cider Press Review, IS, it's it ISM or ISM? ISM. <laughs> okay, ISM. And the anthology, 180 More Extraordinary Poems for Every Day. He was born in South Africa, in Joburg. Right? Johannesburg, for those of you who don't know. Um, and currently resides in SoCal. That's uh, Southern California, for those of you who don't know. He enjoys good, uh, a good martini with olives and is a freelance web designer. Daniel McGinn is an old school poet based in Orange County, California. His work has appeared in numerous journals and anthologies, including So Luminous, The Wildflowers, and Beyond the Valley of the Contemporary Poets. He was a journalist for the East Whittier Review, the OC Weekly, and Next Magazine. He has hosted poetry shows across Southern California and performed at a variety of venues, such as the Bowery Poetry Club in New York City and the Fuse in Philadelphia. He has had five chapbooks included in the Laguna Poet series, 1,000 Black Umbrellas. His current collection is his first full-length book of poetry. Daniel is a maintenance coordinator at a paper recycling plant. He is also a poet. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome these amazing writers. Really, well, come on, welcome. 
There's some folks that just walked into the bookstore as soon as the applause started right there, and they're feeling incredibly famous at this point. Hello, thank you so much for joining uh, all of us. Uh, we need, <laughs> don't be alarmed, a volunteer from the audience. Ooh. Hi! Well done. Daniel McGinn? We, we, we were uh, discussing what order, and we had no idea, so we thought we might have someone pull a Trivial Pursuit card, choose questions off that card, decide who to direct the questions, try to baffle us. Okay. Choose a choice. Yes! Okay. This is actually going to take up most of the evening, actually. This will be... This is not an easy game here. Okay, so we want to ask what to... That's just, that's just be cruel and arbitrary like life itself. Where did Eagle Eye Flegel, General Bull Moose, and Tobacco Rhoda all live. Oh, I'm thinking Palmdale, California. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking uh, uh, oh, damn, no, no, okay, sorry. I lost that round, okay? Right. Next one. Where, what were millions of kids wearing on their heads in 1955? Wow. <gasps> oh, baby Crockett coonskin cap. Okay. Okay. Do we, do we, he hasn't had a question. See if there's a tie here. See if he gets this. All right. All right. <laughs> What's the name of the point at which condensation begins on the cold blast? <laughs> oh, wow. I have no idea. That's, uh, that's your birthday. <laughs> Called the, the dew point. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, our first reader of the day, Mr. Daniel McGinn. <laughs> When Brendan first mentioned the idea of uh, helium, a helium poem, I said, I have one that uh, really needs that sort of treatment. So, um, try this around your wrist or, or, or you sure, but not too tight, okay? All right. Uh, he's cuffed me before, and, and you have to tell him. <laughs> okay, that's not funny. This is like when <clears> we, you know, like when we used to get flu shots. You that's know, right. You one of these. Okay. So. Now I gotta figure out. This is tied pretty high. Huh. This is this is tricky right away. Where do we cut? Right okay. Well, you wanna you wanna make sure that cut the entire bottom out. <laughs> See, I am. Um, this takes skills I, I really don't have. I actually uh, used to do this at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, and, uh, for bar mitzvahs that they used to, they used to have them. Um, so they were, uh, there we go. Yeah, it's uh, everybody clap okay. like we're at Sammy Davis's house. Okay. okay. You ready? Do the cut. That's enough, yeah, thank you. Okay. His marbles. A man collects his marbles in hopes they will make him smarter. His, hands pocket, his pants pockets are full of marbles. Marbles leave dents in his thighs. His fly will not stay zipped, excuse me. Oh, Steph's going fast. He will strike up a relationship with a cat lady. He will find her attractive. She wants this man to talk to her, but he cannot sit down and stay a while because it hurts to sit down on marbles. Marbles can be a pain in the ass. Here we go. That night, he will go to sleep in a single bed and dream he has been set free. He will toss his marbles in every direction and the marbles will turn and form a protective moat around him. We're getting there. That's good. 
He will stand in the center of the circle and zip up his fly. He will then choose to leave his marbles behind. His every step will be followed by a pratfall. God will be watching as he dreams because God loves slapstick comedy and this guy is really funny. We need a second victim. You want to do another card? Okay, oh, okay we have okay. a volunteer. Fantastic. We'll do the Pull card. Well, she, she was first on the table. Oh, man. That gives you a buzz, too. It's... Okay, let me stand down. Gentlemen. Back in the top. Who turned down a 1958 Nobel Prize for Dr. Chivago? Who turned down the Nobel Dr. Chivago? I wrote that book. Uh, what does the fiction say? Miss Chivago? Chivago was a... No, 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 no. I'm, 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 he's, he's had his healing. I got this easy question, the Disney question. Where are the most expensive seats at a bullfight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, like, I, I, I've heard there's a splash zone in the first five rows, but I don't know if that's true. I, w I would imagine the most expensive seats uh, are by the, uh, the, the bull's entrance. Is that, no? So, wow. In the shade. Oh, duh, all right. <laughs> well, that's like saying, like, which are the most, are they the nice ones? You know, I don't, you know, that's. Okay, all right, so, okay, ask him a question. One more? One more, because we're getting mileage out of this. What Pacific Island boasts Mount Suribachi? <laughs> what Pacific it's Island geography. boasts Mount Suribachi? I have no idea. Oh. Lord. Fantastic. <laughs> Thus proving the people behind the counter couldn't answer the question either. <laughs> for those of you who uh, aren't aware, this is a reading for people who were homeschooled, by the way. You all, you all got the... Okay. okay. What's my question? Right. What? <laughs> Banjo Eyes? Uh, I, I, Eddie Cantor. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right, we have a winner. We have All right. Winner. Where are the scissors? I have a knife. We had, I have the Can scissors. Can I use the second? The scissors is right here. I have a knife. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm going to read a, a poem that is, um, in many ways, uh, dedicated to fool's errands. <laughs> um, this is a poem dedicated, well, this is a poem that, that takes as its cue Ferdinand Magellan. Uh, Ferdinand Magellan was the first person to circumnavigate the globe, uh, a journey that he completed but did not survive. And uh, I find his story compelling because when I first started to research him, I, I, I discovered that the manifests in those days, these trips were usually appallingly planned and uh, you would see things in the manifests like, you know, well, we don't need to bring that much water. I mean, it is the ocean. That kind of, like, bad ideas, you know, and, and uh, but the truth of the matter is, is whenever you walk out the door of the house, 
you only think you're better informed. Uh, so this is, this is Variations on a Theme by Ferdinand Magellan. And I didn't actually cut the balloon. That would have been, I would have, how disappointing would that have been? Okay. I'd have just continued to read as me. Who wants to do that? I beg your pardon? Well, why don't you just read the darn poem? Okay. Ah, success. You ready? It's a tingly feeling, isn't it? Are you all tingly? I'm all tingly. Variations on a theme by Ferdinand Magellan. This is everything. <laughs> this is all we can carry. This should be the last of it. Run upstairs and check. I just want to have one more look around. Once more around the city wall. The village is deserted. The apartment is empty. The house is locked up. We've poisoned the well. The neighbors have keys. The dogs will take care of things. We're bringing the dogs with us. <laughs> the tent should be fine. No one will find the cave. No one else is coming. A lot more people are coming. Dad's coming. Mom's ready. Your sister should be right down. I don't know what's keeping your brother. The men are assembled. We're leaving the women. <laughs> I'll meet you outside. I'll wait in the car. I'll wait with the others. We should wait for everyone. We should wait for the wind to pick up. Wait for the rain to stop. Wait for fresh horses. The horses know the way. <laughs> the ship is an old one. It's one of those huge planes. The train is like when we were kids. There are sandwiches and everything. There's barely enough food. Bring only water. Anything we forget, ha! We can buy. It should be pretty full. We're lucky to get seats. We ought to have the whole thing to ourselves. The tickets are in my coat. The tickets are in your purse. We'll pick up the tickets there. The instructions say midnight. They say... No cops. The invitation is for one. It's just you and a friend. There are 200 crew. We have digital charts. We have Portuguese maps. We have... A dashboard Buddha with a compass in his belly. There are signs we can follow. Big arrows, bright stars, the moon, it's all lit up. You can't miss it. There should be a big crowd, a line around the block. Look for a mountain. Look for a pile of rocks. Look for the words... You are here. And here the directions end. Here the page runs out. Here the road just stops. The horses spook. The wings fall off. The river flows back to the jungle. Here, take the wheel. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Suncock. Can you help me with that? Yes, yes, you help me with that. Yeah, so uh, these guys put me up to this ridiculous thing. Uh, and I said, I'll go along. So I've never done this before. This is my first time inhaling one you of these. You need a balloon hand. This is so it. This is, this is it, yeah. So make sure that you get that sucker pinched gotcha. when, uh, when, uh, okay, you get, you get, you're going to have your fingers on it? Right yeah, there? Yeah, Are you yeah, ready? Yeah. Okay, hang on to that. It's the first time. First time. Martini land. I like martinis. I think a country should be named Martini. I think all the rivers in this country should be filled with vodka and all the airplanes that fly over the country should be required by law to drop olives from the sky. The children would be shaped like miniature swords and the woman would be made of glass. In this country, beer would be tied to wooden stakes and burned in the streets. 
<laughs> the national... That didn't work. Oh, it did. The national... The national... The national anthem would be swayed by Dean Martin. I would be king of this country. I would be queen of this country, too. There would be no men, and the woman would reproduce without them. I would be the only man. Except on days when I am queen. That was excellent. That was fun. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of poems. We're going to take turns each reading a couple of poems. Uh, title poem from the book is called Rainstorm. How do you, the child, process rain? You with the memory of water in the womb, so close to the surface of skin. Wrinkles are the result of water evaporating from my skin like the rapture of dots. Old age is the sound of a thousand men simultaneously opening black umbrellas. You, knowing the body, both closed and naked, was it, was it more like tears or less like a sprinkling? Lovers and enemies are rooted in the stomach like a knee that aches just before the storm. Can you picture the man of the cloth cupping your bald head above the font? Now you, the child, being carried outside, look up. Of all the prayers said for me, did any of them take? I wish I could believe in you. I wish I could forgive me. Someday the one who carries you will become the one you carry. Dark clouds splatter in your face. Don't try to figure it out. It's not a puzzle or a thing you can chew on. It's just one more world you're living in. Turning corners in a stroller, you lose the sound of your own heartbeat to the click, click, click of your mother's high heels. I close the book on another story that I read to you because it's time for bed. And I talk to myself like I'd talk to a child, and I become a father that I never had. Thank you. Uh, this is called After Rain. It's dedicated to Paul Suntop. Yes. And it's one of those where you go, one, two, three. Do you want me to do that? Or I'll just pause and you'll know, okay, that's two, that's three, that's four. Okay, he doesn't like it either. She likes fingers. Okay, we'll do fingers. For Elizabeth, the fingers. One. They say, write what you know. But if you have lived what you know, you don't want to talk about it to people who haven't been there. A good cookie makes a mess on your shirt. All of our stories will crumble like cookies. Leave them laughing with your crumbs on their lips. Poetry is quick and cool as the spaces between raindrops. Women will teach you how to cry and how to feel better. You will find yourself with empty hands in the desert, but for poetry. 
Walking to your car, I was watching the gravel moving below our feet like an audience. I was averting my eyes from a couple embracing, but they stopped. I wondered if we could change history, or even the future. You sold me a serious book of poetry from the trunk of your car. When I was young, I was like the bear. When I was old, I was like the cave. I carry wind in my mouth. I form words. I eat the wind. I remember my father singing after the divorce. My love don't give me presents. I know that she's no peasant. All she ever has to give is love forever and forever. I know she's only fooling. She's a woman. She's a woman. He loved that song. It made him laugh. And he told me again and again, women are different than men. I disagreed. I was so young. My father told me to leave them laughing. And then he bought me a cookie. Ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Constantine. He has a little helium left. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just seeing. I'm just seeing if there's a last hit in here somewhere. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> so, do you ever, um, well, good. Do you ever, uh, you ever lie awake at night and you're lying in bed and you're starting to fall asleep and you're staring at the ceiling and it suddenly occurs to you the shape you're making with your body lying on the bed and if you were standing straight up and down what that would look like and try to interpret that shape, you know. Or wonder at the various contortions you go through during the course of a night. This is the shapes of our bodies in sleep. You are usually running away, the letter S in full stride, holding the pillow to your ear as if listening where to turn. I am either the letter K chasing you, walking home, or H dancing exaltation to gods of sleep, arms raised, chest thrust out, legs bowed with a weight of music. Sometimes you're dancing too, but a different dance, older than letters, head down, a pinch of gown in each hand, feet crossed to spin or bow goodnight. Last night I was a dead sailor spread like an axe, waiting for a cop to roll me over to draw my outline. You made a break for the harbor. Thank you. Yeah, okay. That's <laughs> it's a committee meeting going on. It just it just uh, just adjourned. They're, they're just letting out now and uh, and uh, the results are these. <clears throat> Blackboard jungle. I don't linger in the teacher's lounge. My mail is there, as are the coffee and copy machines, but when I'm done with them, I go. Something about this place scares me, as though it's this room, not my classroom, where I'm most likely to be exposed as a fake. I'm waiting on copies of Lowell's turtle poems when a math teacher walks in and declares, 
Animal crackers send the wrong message to children because they imply all animals taste alike. <laughs> Don't I agree this could discourage them from trying new things? A camel tastes nothing like a monkey, he yells above the noise. They're two totally different flavors. I want to ask how he knows this. I want to ask what he means by new things, but frankly, I'm afraid. He turns to the coffee maker and keeps shouting, I don't catch the rest. It sounds like, and I love that sweet thing you do. Being noticed freaks me out enough. Now the math department is hitting on me. But no, I can't have heard right. What did you say? He opens a multitude of sugar packets over his cup and repeats, a lion is nothing like a kangaroo. I want to say, nothing is like a kangaroo. Captain James Cook brought the word back from Australia in 1770 after his ship ran aground on Queensland. There he met a local tribe of aborigines and asked them about the giant hopping mice he'd witnessed, animals with massive legs who carried their young in pouches like tobacco. The chief replied, kangaroo. Cook tried a variety of spellings in his journal, no doubt he said it aloud, perhaps slowly to match it with the creature's movements. Samuel Johnson later praised the word as poetic, a perfect embodiment of the animal, emphasizing his point by acting like one in front of company. Dr. Johnson, a huge, gravely featured man, is said to have gathered the tails of his coat into a pouch and hopped about the dining room, thick hands flapping before him as he chanted, kangaroo, kangaroo. His guests just stared, as the natives must have when Cook repeated the word to them. Many now argue it isn't a name but a whole sentence. The chief was asking, what did you say? It's not a quiet debate. Cook never got the name of the tribe. There's no way to trace the dialect. This sentence, this, excuse me, this second, linguists are fighting with historians, teachers, with students, experts of all kinds are raising their voices, beating on tables, slamming doors on each other because the whole thing is utterly ridiculous. These were great men and great men are always painted as fools over time. It's ego, jealousy, an idiot's concept of a concept. My copies are done. The machine groans down. Everything, says the math teacher. Everything was meant to be eaten by something else. Ever been to the Philippines? <laughs> I haven't, but Luzon, the largest island, also means, what did you say? Yucatan is, I don't understand you. The llama comes from, como se llama? Indri, the short-tailed lemur of Madagascar, means simply, look! Math is still gibbering at me, some crazy patois I no longer follow. I take my stack of poems in my mouth, shake my head at him and snarl until he backs away, until he can't put me into words. The room is mine. I leap out the door. Paul Suntup, ladies and gentlemen. This is a poem called That Day on the Floor with the Phone Book. It gets quieter around six, cooler too. And there's the distant sound of children playing in the field. The tree beyond my window only moves when I look directly at it. About 58 dry roasted macadamia nuts lie motionless inside a plastic container, standing like a soldier on a pack of blue post-it notes. They don't taste like real macadamia nuts, maybe because they're in plastic and they don't taste dry roasted at all. 
To my left is another plastic container. This one has 14 dry organic mango slices. They taste like dry mangoes. Mission accomplished. <laughs> the tree has stopped moving even when I look at it and I cannot hear the children. There's a man yelling at his wife. She steps back and kicks him in the head. Not really. I want to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> Tomorrow I will fold a phone book into a chimpanzee. It's not a real chimp. It's a phone book chimp. It's not origami. It's something I invented called folding a phone book into something. <laughs> All you need is the formula for how to fold each page. Then you get started. Sometimes you need other ingredients like maybe an ocean or red markers or pine cones. You can't play this game if you don't have patience because once you start, you aren't supposed to stop until it's done. This one time I made a famous Spanish general, but can't prove it because he blew himself up before I could show anyone. What a mess. There were bits of pages everywhere, under the bed in the plantation shutters. I even found a few ripped edges stuck in my teeth. I should be okay with a chimp. It's a domesticated one, not a wild baboon that could rip your chest out of your chest. When we first kissed, I was folding the yellow pages into an African hut. I used it, used it as an excuse to touch your hand. Turn the page down like this, I said, as I demonstrated the angle of the leftward fold. We were sitting on the floor drinking wine. I still have the book. It's at the top of my bookcase with about 200 pages still unfolded. Sometimes when I'm thinking of you, I'll pick it up and fold some more. Then I'll go back toward the beginning to see if I can find the smudges left by your fingertips in the black ink. This is kerosene. Thank you. This is kerosene, and it is for, dedicated to a poet named Dean Young. Dean says it's okay to talk about Paul and all the things Paul has invented. Take bamboo, that was his, and so were fingernails, and the one he's most proud of, the hump of the dromedary. Contrary to what we're told in Dean's poem, clouds were Paul's idea, and he has the scars on his back to prove it. But enough about the great genius of Paul. You will never find Paul sun-top vacuuming because he is a lazy bum. However, to be fair, he suffers from a condition of slothfulness so severe that a team of paleontologists, geologists, anthropologists, and archaeologists once discovered a host of fossils preserved in the volcanic ash between his ribs, including three antelope teeth, the lower jaw of a tortoise, and a trail of guinea fowl prints. It's best not to ask Paul where he is from. He has an accent. Move on. <laughs> Where are you from? 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 Get that all the time. Paul enjoys eating strawberries and eats them from the front of his head, unlike Dean, whose face apparently is on the back, but Dean is strange that way. There are times when Paul can't help but burst with love for this world, and other times he'd like to fill the rain clouds with kerosene, then burn a candle and hold it up to the beautiful sky. Daniel McGinn.
I, I, Paul talked about having one long poem. I think I'm going to read one long poem, and then uh, I, I don't know if Brennan may read two short or one long, uh, but we're getting to that point where we're starting to wrap it up. I want to tell you that you can have one of these posters, and we will all sign up for just $5, and that's gas money, and we're leaving for Tucson tomorrow, so if we could get just enough gas to make it to Tucson, we may actually go on tour. A lot depends on the posters. Um, Okay, so the first poem was like, it's a blind date, let's get acquainted. Uh, the second poem is like, okay, let's get a little bit more serious. Uh, this poem I'm just going to dump on you. Okay, this is my catharsis poem. And I may never see you again, okay? But I'm just going to get it out. Um, this is a long poem. It is called Between You and Me. And this is for R.M., wherever she is tonight. You were sitting next to your father and across from me when he spoke to me and said, that stuff about me in her book, none of it is true. It was your battle. It was all of your life, but he never believed his part in your life was true. I used to see my mother drink wine, yet she tells me she never drank, and she tells me she has never been drunk, and I never bring up how she used to yell and beat me. I, I never do this because I would deny it to my father, and she would deny it to my father, and she would deny it to my siblings, and she would deny it right in front of my slapped up face. So I read your book with great interest. I didn't even notice it when he said that. Not until I saw your face. I took a picture of your feelings and I stared at it and I empathized with your eyes, the light receding. I do not understand his truth. I am only concerned with you. And I am sorry. I am a passive. My mother would slap me around from one room to the next room when she yelled at me. And I don't tell nobody, not to this day, not even you. And I never hit back. I dearly love the women who don't make war. I look like my father, I laugh like my father, and that woman he left me with, she tried to break me like she broke my father. My father left her, and my father left me, and my father left us for other women. So what am I supposed to expect? This was supposed to be my puberty. I will never hit my sisters. I will never hit my wife. I love my new family. You and I are like a couple of comedians with generations of unhappy childhood smothered deep inside our blood. And your father wants to know how to love you now, but he can't bear the weight of all these stories you bring to the table. I don't think he can make himself remember himself as the man who hurt you. I think the man he is today loves you in the clumsy way that only old men can love. What kind of a fool would turn from his, father's, from his daughter's face and give up holding his daughter's hand forever? Not me. No way. I used to be angry at mother. I wanted her to fess up, to confess, but she never did. She was never able to see her own shadow. She refused to believe in my ghost, so I took her out of that box. I set her free, and I'll be damned. I don't know how to love my own mother. I never did. But I am not my father. I am not my mother. I am none of those people. I am both of them. Maybe I should have gotten in your father's face and defended your honor. I am so sorry. His comment went by unnoticed until you brought it up. Everything else was perfect. I love to see you. I love to hear you. My heart is so many kinds of better when you come around. 
Our good friend had just gotten married. There were flowers on every table. Your father was loving, living in your world. He was digging your friends. He was enjoying being a piece of your life. What he saw in my eyes was the only truth I know. Of course I believe you. And I think he was embarrassed. There is only so much exposure the human heart can bear, whether it comes tugging at your sleeve or just keeps kicking you in the chest. Brendan Constantine. Thank you so much for your attention this evening and for coming out to see us. There are some folks in the audience that have been, that uh, I swear I've, uh, I've, I've, I've seen at like the last seven poetry readings and, and, I, uh, and I'm so grateful for you and uh, your apparent diminished uh, memory uh, <laughs> capacity. I mean, um, uh, they say there are certain kinds of dreams that we're all going to have at uh, one time or another that you'll, everybody will have the falling dream and the dream that feels like not only like you're falling but that wakes up with this sense that you're landing in the bed. They say that uh, we'll all have the dream where we can fly or the dream where you're trying to get to someplace or from someplace else and your, your legs weigh a ton and they won't move very fast. And they say, um, have you ever had the one where all your teeth fall out? If you haven't, you will now. Uh, and uh, then of course there's the dream about the great big house or building that is just somehow endless and goes on for blocks and blocks or miles and miles. And, and uh, this is a poem that I I guess I'll say is made possible by that dream. It's uh, about a hotel, but I can't emphasize enough that it's not a dream. This is the grand. The women's powder room was so large, on some mornings deer could be seen drinking from the sinks. And I can still hear my parents whispering about the janitor who went missing in the men's lounge and was never found. Police, bellboys, and all 200 mustached chefs from the kitchen formed a dragnet, locking arms and crossing the room like a comb of paper dolls. After six days, the man's wife called off the search because he was probably staying away on purpose. He'd wander home on his own, she said. There was a picture of her in the Times, taken outside the door. My mother clipped it out to pray over, and I stared at it in spells, wondering at the woman's rolled sleeves, the swans on her apron, the word men above her shoulder. Our prayers are somewhere over Japan by now. My father ran an elevator, car number 717. He met my mother in it when she came to see about a job in the gift shop. She didn't get the job, less than 10 years experience, but she got him. They were married in one of the themed chapels. I don't know which one, but knowing my mother, it had to be pink and packed with cupids. A modest reception was held in a corner of the ballroom. The only night they went dancing. The floors were rosewood and went on for a mile in any direction, sweeping up to walls painted gold. They danced for hours, though they could barely see the band at the far end of the room.
Just before midnight, clouds formed beneath the chandeliers and it began to rain. My father carried his wife up 80 flights of marble stairs to a bridal suite, a gift from his boss, where they danced until the moon disappeared behind the east wing. I was born in that wing and lived there until I was seven. That year, my father's car came loose. He was bringing some newlyweds to the top when the cable snapped like licorice. A fireman said my father had a dozen lilies under one arm. He must have been holding them so the groom could carry his bride to their door. We went to live with my aunt on her farm, 20 miles from town. Even so, in summer you could see the hotel, a row of baby teeth on the horizon. The farmhouse was a bunch of connected shacks compared to the grand. Though bright and papered with flowers in one room or angels in another, I saw it as dark, stained like the legs of a French poodle. I shared a bed with a step-uncle who never removed his blonde toupee. While he slept, I would blow on it softly until it lifted like a sail, moonlight catching in the strands. Once I blew it off completely, then slept, and woke falling as the ranting man turned the mattress for his fugitive hair. Somehow I remember falling for a long time, as if the floor were at the bottom of a deep shaft. Next day we were asked to leave, and not come back. We lived many places after that, forgetting each one as soon as we left it. Years later, holding my mother's hand in the hospital, we shared a vision of the farm, the brownness and the stairs, down and out, through flies and the banging of screen doors. Then I got her ring and his. Two hundred dollars in the gift shop of the Grand and not worth it, she said. Use them to catch deer. I'm not sure how she meant it. Was I supposed to wear them and hold out my hand? Has anyone ever caught beauty that way? Don't you have to not need it? Don't you have to fall into it or get lost looking for something else? There is a city where the hotel used to be and I live there. I go walking in the park that was the putting green and once I found a gold cufflink in the grass. I keep it with the rings and a piece of bathroom tile and a huge square ashtray with the word grand on it. Stacked together, they make a place. Not a shrine, but a building with rooms large enough to put the wind to sleep and where people work and stay up all night making lists or coffee or love. I don't need to look at it. I look at television or a book. I look out the window of a train and into the mouth of a tunnel, swallowing the light of the world as if it were a pearl onion. It is. Thank you. And to finish this off, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Suntup. So I believe this is the final poem then for us, or do we have another round? Well, you look pretty hearty to me, but it's going to be the last one for tonight. Good, very good. Uh, so, last one, guys and girls. Yay! <laughs> um, so, I'm going to just read the la my last poem tonight. We all have books for sale. Please support the bookstore and purchase the books back there. All sales tonight uh, will help support this uh, bookstore, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, so please buy a copy of our books. It'll be great. If, uh, by the way, can they buy all three? Free poster. Yeah, okay. Good idea. Free poster. Buy all three. Buy them twice and we'll uh, bring helium. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, close out with this poem. Uh, this is a brand new poem that I... This poem sort of consumed me for about a week. Um, I've never read it before. 
in you know at a poetry reading, and um, I'm going to I'm having someone set this to music because it's a kind of poem that really needs would be great with some background music. Uh, but here it is. And this, uh, I have to thank uh, uh, um, Daniel for this because we had we drove down to San Diego uh, for a poetry reading, and on the way back late at night, we had a conversation, and you know, I told him how I don't write much lately, and he said, just sit down and write something like that, just write, you know, go with the flow. And I sat down one evening, I was in bed, and I just started writing, and this is kind of what came out, and I edited it some, and so thank you. If you, I think if we hadn't had that conversation, I wouldn't have written this poem. <clears throat> It's called Tribute. She is lightning, afraid of the dark. She is June, two months early, because April slaughtered May with a pitchfork. She is a pond with a thousand tadpoles who think they're whales. She is a boy named Lenny who pointed to a thousand whales in a pond, so his mother took him to a doctor. She is standing alone in a silo because the wheat is out to lunch. She eats lunch at midnight because she loses track of time. She was Richard Brodigan's fingernails between November 26 and December 7, 1967. Then someone took her place and she became a platter of fingernail shavings on the floor. Soon after that, she spent 47 years in the grass outside his house. When it rained, she was cold. When he cut the lawn, she lost a leg. When they sold the house, she lost an arm. When the dogs barked, she was afraid. She is leaving for Spain in the morning. She is leaving for Italy in the morning. She is leaving for Paris in the morning. She is eating French toast in bed, and in the morning she is leaving for New Zealand. When she arrives, she will be blue paint peeling from the wall of an old house. Tonight the phone rang, and she shot it. When the neighbor knocked on the door, she shot the neighbor. When the police arrived, she smiled at them and shot herself. When they left, she sucked out the bullet with her mind and was still smiling. She's cats, smiling. She's dogs, smiling. She's birds, smiling. She's a tree shaped like a cloud. She's a cloud shaped like a tree. She's a giraffe with a short neck. She's December 11 months early because January and February got married and went to Brazil on their honeymoon. She's December early because March cheated on April with October and April shot them both and turned a gun on herself. She's December early because May, June, July and August rented a bus and drove to New York to audition for a Broadway musical. She's December early because November missed October so much she jumped off a bridge and died. She's December early because in September her father died and the whole month was a deep hole in the ground that never seemed to end. She's December in January. She's December in January. She's Amy Winehouse before she died. She's Amy Winehouse while she was dying. She's a boy listening to a song by Amy Winehouse after she died. She's Michael Jackson. She's David Bowie. She's Michelle Legrand. She's Terry Jacks. She's Jimi Hendrix. She's Kurt Cobain. She's Otis Redding. She's Tim Buckley. She's Freddie Mercury. She's Brian Jones. She's Randy Rhodes. She's Janis Joplin. She's Jim Morrison. She's Sid Vicious. She's Dwayne Allman. She's Jeff Buckley. She's Israel Kamakavivo Ole. She's Lucky Dube. She's John Lennon. She's Kevin Carter. She's Patrick Haynes. She's She's Cass Elliot. She's Billy Holiday. She's Karen Carpenter. She's James Dean. She's Brandon Lee. She's River Phoenix. She is Diana.
She's Diana's smile. She's Diana's grace. She's Diana's resolve. She's the Paris hospital Diana died in. She's the oven Sylvia died in. She's the plastic bag Jersey died in. She's the bullet that killed Hunter. She's the bullet that killed Richard. She's the bullet that killed Vincent. She's the bullet that killed John. She's the bullet that killed John. She's the shotgun that killed Ernest. She's the carbon monoxide that killed Anne. She's the rope that killed David. She's the river that killed Virginia. She's the rock that pulled her down. She's the wheel within a wheel. She is seasons in the sun. She is all four seasons. She is all seven wonders. Or is it eight? She is 17 empty bottles of vodka. She is a Namibian sand dune. She is a Namibian sunset. She is the last line of a poem. Thank you. Daniel McGinn, Paul Suntup, and I thank you very much. Thanks very much to Skylight Books for making us. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.